Welcome to the Israel Conversation by Massah Leadership and Impact Center, the content engine behind Massah Israel Journey. We bring contemporary, challenging, and compelling Israel issues to light in ways that help us stay connected with what's really going on on the ground. I am your host, Michael Unterberg, here, as always, with co-host... Liel Zahaviasa. How's it going, Liel? I'm good. How are you? I'm all right. It's uh, Sukkot here. And I think it's Cholom uh, for everyone everywhere, the intermediate days. And our topic for today is the most recent political scandal from America that affects Israel, which is the not including Iron Dome funding in the current budget proposal. And our guest this week is the director of our program, Benji Davis. How's it going, Benji? I'm great. How are you? Chag Sameach. That was a very formal I like introduction. I feel like you haven't been on in a while. I have not been on during the era of Liel. This is my this is my first time. It is a pleasure. Oh, uh, okay. I did step in as a guest host a few times. You know, that was fun. Now That's I get to true. be back and, you know, just saying whatever I want, as opposed to when I was guest hosting, which was more or less <laughs> saying whatever I wanted, but feeling a little nervous about it. All right. Well, can, well, basically, the story that we're dealing with is the the uh, the I don't know what you want to call the caucus of people who are who identify themselves as the progressive wing of the Democratic caucus. Some might say the extremist wing of the Democrats won't pass the budget if Iron Dome funding is in it—a billion dollars in Iron Dome funding from the United States—and so it's not included in it. Although it will be set up by Congress by the end of the week or next week or two. So it's going to pass anyway. So this this symbolic gesture by a certain group of Democrats is uh, troubling to many Israelis and, it, and to certainly pro-Israel Americans, including members of Congress. And so is it an indicator of things to come? Is it a tempest in a teapot and really signifies nothing? That's what we're going to talk about today. Now, Benji, you wanted to uh, find a few tweets as sort of grist for the conversation. Yeah. So I'm going to start with one that it's pretty silly. Um, however, it it hits onto this bigger idea. So it's someone I saw, Ellie on Twitter, Ellie Cone 3. Did you know America gives Israel $500 trillion? And that's the reason I had to pay for my dentist appointment this week. Right. And getting on the idea that because Israel received or rather America gives money uh, to Israel, that the social services in America are depleted and people have to uh, pay outlandish fees for things that maybe otherwise they would have to pay for or poverty can be solved and, and all those things. It's this bigger critique, I think, in the, the far progressive spaces that uh, foreign aid, especially to maybe an evil actor like Israel, only hurts America as opposed to helping it because there's so many issues back at home. Now, I happen to think it's quite a silly argument. Because? Um, because America's the, I mean, the world order as it is, post-World War II, that like global economy is essentially insured by America either for ensuring that commerce and capitalism can happen by protecting the shores and having stable countries all around the world, whether that's American military bases, whether that's fleets and uh, ships and the Navy in certain places so shipping can go through, or having staunch allies that can do the work of America to keep certain regions, you know, whether it'll be stable and safe. Um, the Pax Americana. So 
Yeah, Pax Americana in a nutshell has enabled me to receive an Amazon package in eight to 10 days. And if I spend between 65 and $75, I get the shipping for free, right? So I get to enjoy that living in Israel. Um, Do you enjoy finding the sweet spot in your order between 65 and $75? I've had, right now I'm at $40 in my current, um, whatever it's called, the the cart. I'm trying to, like my wife, like, yo, can we get to the 65? Yeah, I'm not going to just waste money. It's a very exciting game, yeah. Yeah. So um, the point is the and the way that how capitalism has made America, you know, it's brought the most amount of people out of poverty and um, the wealth that so many people have. And yes, there's the gap, but um, it's enabled by this, the the current world order and and Pax Americana. And that happens in a few ways that enables us um, to have, you know, you know, such a strong economy and, you know, essentially some privileges of life that um, my parents or even grand, well, most of my grandparents, my parents are boomers. They had it pretty good. Um, and so it's pretty silly because if you're against the current world order, then you're essentially a, a, America will become a much poorer place and then things will end up becoming more expensive and you won't have access to certain things that you have access to. And it doesn't, what I'm saying is it doesn't solve the problem of the fact that I think my healthcare in Israel, the social, semi-socialized medicine that we have really helps me. And I'm very grateful for it. And I would be a little scared at the cost I might incur if I didn't have good employer given health insurance uh, in the States. I'm not, I know there's some serious issues there, um, but we're talking about, okay, that's a structural issue that needs to be fixed in America. But if you undo a certain structure that's happening in the international community that America still at this moment leads, and I hope will continue to lead and will not be given to China and Russia, um, then certain things need to happen, uh, which could be, right, certain foreign aid, military aid, uh, military bases, uh, you know, naval uh, fleets and things like that. Now, second tweet I wanted to bring in. Well, hold um, on. I just wanted to also point out that in addition to... Comment on what I said, I guess. Like, does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, I thought it made sense. I, your, your essential point is that saying the fact that America's priorities are weird and that, yes, the Pax Americana has value. You, you, basically, you were making the argument of the Monty Python sketch in Life of Brian, where the Judean rebels are saying, one of them says, what has Rome done for us? And they go, one of the guys goes, like meaning it sarcastically, like they're garbage. One of the guys goes, well, they built the roads. Yeah, the roads are good, but what else have they done for us? Well, they stopped all the bandits from killing us. Yeah, that's true. And they allow the mail to go through. And yeah, in other words, there is something to, there is value added to these sort of empires. Whether you can also critique what they're doing is a different issue. You can't deny the good that it's doing. So to cripple the world economy so that, that you think that would give you better dental care is such a politically naive way of looking at, at the situation. It's, it's a tweet, I mean, that's, it's a tweet right. level of thinking. And there's the other point, though, to add is that I think Israel receives, what is it, $3.5 billion? $3.8 billion a year. Out of a federal budget of, I don't know how many trillion? Five trillion, as Ellie said on Twitter. Five. It's <laughs> not a real number. It, it, is, it is a fraction of a fraction of the American budget. So, so the idea that, I mean, I could see somebody, and, and I know that there are people on the left who argue that since uh, they don't like Israel's policies, America shouldn't spend that 3.8 billion a year. 
That, to me, I certainly disagree with very strongly. I think that's stupid and short-sighted and morally obtuse. But at least to me, that's coherent. To argue that you could fix, you could balance America's budget and provide free dental care to all Americans with $3.8 billion is so stupid. I mean, the whole thing, it's just a... I, it doesn't. It's it's just a silly tweet. It's there, not even a coherent. Right. There are those that want to completely destroy and undo the system and structures that we have and recreate. And I think yeah. you and I are more um, in the realm of no. We need to, to you know. I mean, there's, there's 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 things to fix. There's there's things to you know. We gotta do a little sheepoots here. Um, the big ideas of foreign aid and Pax Americana are good. Whether we're doing it well or not um, is a different right. story. So, for instance, American leaving Afghanistan, um, you know, it doesn't seem that was a if a good way of you know keeping the world order that we have. It didn't seem to work out. Like, just keep your twenty five hundred soldiers there, and like, yeah, corrupt government, but it will be better. As in, the, the critique right, so is I, in I, America shouldn't be anywhere. Right. But I'm also saying in addition to that crash and burn, it would be there's the equivalent of like, oh, I I go to Aroma once a month for a coffee. If I didn't do that, I could afford that Lexus I want. No, you can't. Like you're just talking about that's just silly. Like don't go to Aroma or go to Aroma. But that's not the money you need to buy a Lexus. Like that's just a once a month coffee. 12 months a year is not going to get you a Lexus. And that's that's sort of also to me what's another stupidity behind the tweet. I think it's not Israel. Yeah. If we take a zoom out outside the specific tweet and acknowledge, which I think you guys were talking about before, um, that I think there is a significant part of American society and definitely right now the government that doesn't see them like what doesn't see one of their values as being Pax Americana necessarily, which is why some of these things are happening. And I think that's something that here, speaking from our perspective, obviously we have very harsh critique on it, especially after what happened in Afghanistan recently. But I think it's important for us to acknowledge that there, there's a significant amount of people who really don't agree with that value, and that's not the way that they want to see America progress. Um, and that's why, that's why we have, you know, uh, defunding of the Iron Dome or a, at least a conflict in, in the matter right now. Right. I mean, that's yeah. a very American—isolationism is a very American thing, and that's something the far left and the far right 100 uh, percent agree upon. Uh, for different reasons. And you have the conflation of that that isolationist American tendency, but then to focus that energy on Israel is bringing in another tendency of this obsession with the Jewish people and Israel from some sort of either a philo-Semitic or an anti-Semitic um, you know, point of view, which is mm-hmm. you know pretty traditional in, in Western society. And we've talked about that before on this podcast. Aviva's come in we posted a loans podcast on this and we do remote like this is a i think that's what's ha- that's what happened here with the iron dome it's that 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 isolationism that's deeply embedded in american culture for for generations and this obsession uh with the modern state of israel or obsession with the jewish people the bible etc that that played out in the progressive wing of the democratic party saying we're willing to shut down the government over a billion dollars of funding for the Iron Dome, which is a subsidy for the defense industry in America, mm-hmm. um, even though we know that it's going to get passed anyway in a separate bill. It's a, it's, a, right. it's it's all politics and culture. Yeah, yeah. I'm less bothered, honestly, by the anti-Israel and anti-Semitism underlying it than I am by the remarkably stupid thinking that passes for political discourse and behavior in 2021. 
Yeah, I kind of how's that for a, how's that for a depressing read of your adorable tweet? Yeah, no, it's I, 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 can I read the second tweet because I actually yeah yeah think, yeah I think it has a lot of substance. Um, it's from Anshel Pfeffer of Haaretz, uh, who's he's been saying this for a while. If you read him, um, he's commenting on it. Um, the progressive Democrats pressure Biden into removing one billion dollar Iron Dome funding. So he writes. Whatever the motive, this is a positive move. Israel is a wealthy country with a Western-level GDP. The U.S. shouldn't be subsidizing its defense budget. It's in Israel's interest to stand on its own two feet and not rely uh, essentially on America. The fact that Israel knows it can rely on U.S. aid, mainly a back-channel subsidy to Americans' arm manufacturers, has allowed Israel's military to continue inflating the defense budget. An end to U.S. aid would ultimately strengthen Israel's economy and rationalize defense spending. Hold on a second. That was not a tweet. That was multiple <laughs> tweets. How'd you just do that? Oh yeah, it was like two tweets. So. Oh wow. Sorry, was I only supposed to read the first tweet? <clears throat> no, that's fine. I just that was that was a coherent paragraph. Yeah, I guess we're usually not. It's it's a coherent art. I brought it in because it's it's not just a coherent yeah. paragraph writing. It's it's an argument which is Israel's a rich country relying on American aid just. You know, it inflates the defense budget and doesn't help us focus on where the money is really needed. And this reliance on America doesn't strengthen Israel. It, it perhaps weakens it. And so I, I'm not sure, I'm not saying whether I agree or disagree, but I, I think it's an argument that needs to really be hashed out in, in the, this little space that we're in of this pro-Israel Zionist space. Well, it's also an argument that's been um, brought up for years, probably at least the last hundred years or more, more or but less. But not, not, not from a Zionist, like Anshel's a Zionist. He mm-hmm. writes for a Zionist newspaper, whatever you think of Haaretz. He's saying this is, it's good for Israel not to get the aid. Where, where are you hearing that in the pro-Israel community in the United States? And where are you hearing that from Israeli leaders? I'm not well, hearing it. Well, similar to your argument about the Pax Americana, the international structure is something that we rely on for stability. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, the money that's spent between Israel and America and the technology and the, the, the military and political and diplomatic and intelligence interactions between Israel and America create this very tight strategic bond. It's not just people say, oh, we're, we're, we're allies because we have shared values. Well, okay. Yeah. But, you know, right now, America and France, as we speak, are in a big fight. France has recalled this ambassador. They have very similar values, but they're fighting over specific issues because they had a difference of interest. And and this sort of interaction locks Israel and America. And you can argue that's not healthy for Israel. You can argue that it is healthy for Israel. But it is an interesting conversation. That's a broader conversation. Should America... By the way, most Jews I talk to think that America is indispensable, and certainly most American Jews I talk to, act like America is indispensable to Israel's well-being and security, which to me is a very strange argument. You know, Israel beat its enemies in 1967 with almost no American aid whatsoever. And in 1956, no American aid whatsoever. To say in 2021, we have returned to a status where that's no longer possible. Now we need America for everything. To me, is a strange argument, but but I don't I don't think it's reflects can reality. I, can I give a, a commentary on that argument, which I think has not much to do about what's actually happening on the ground between America and Israel, and once again has everything to do about a reflection of American Jewish 
um, I don't know, the way they feel about Israel and how they feel about themselves, as in it's your argument, Michael, about pro-Israelism versus Zionism, and it's a pro-Israel point to take. And I, I'm sorry if I'm mm-hmm. insulting any of our listeners, but to say that Israel needs America, without America, Israel would, eh, I don't know, not be doing so well. Uh, in a way, it legitimizes this idea of, you know, whether um, this my main practice of Judaism, if you're onto the religion anymore, is this idea of pro-Israelism, or you feel that Zionism is some sort of pressuring to move to the land, but you don't want to do that. So you create kind of this new ideology of pro-Israelism, although I think you can totally be a Zionist and not have to have any intentions of making Aliyah. But there is this idea that being pro-Israel, that also in, in, in part of that ideology is that you need a strong U.S.-Israel relationship and Israel needs America. Now, I'm not going against the APAC thesis. I actually think it's mm-hmm. really good for Israel to have a strong U.S.-Israel relationship, but flirting with the idea that the U.S. is indispensable and without the U.S.-Israel wouldn't exist anymore, I think is a bunch of, as the current president would say of America, malarkey. <laughs> yeah, that's good Bidenism. <laughs> So no. um, yeah, I, I also I think, think I mean uh, I, I, that's a, that's a that's a deeper analysis than I was giving it to me. It's just sort of people think the status quo is all there is possible, and that's just never true. So you're saying there's other okay. elements, uh, and that that seems. But also, there's also an element of our government, like the Israeli government currently, mm-hmm. I think maybe there's an element within them, their their own uh, security that also maybe feels like that, maybe feels like we need America, and there isn't this. I mean, I, again. Perhaps I don't know, but as as strong of a security that on our own we can make it, and that we absolutely need America. Maybe in well, our government, there are people sitting there who believe that right now. Israeli governments have been talking that way for the yeah. last few decades, and in people's political memory, that's the way it always was. It isn't the way it always was, but people sort of reflect on it as if it always was. When we talk about this enduring alliance, this special relationship, it is. But that's formed over the, since really. I mean, you cannot say that in the 70s that really existed. You cannot say that it existed in the 80s. Certainly the Likud or the unity governments that existed in the 80s did not have this amazing relationship with uh, with uh, with Reagan or with H.W. Uh, Bush, the first President Bush. Uh, oddly, under Clinton and George W. Bush, you had this warmth of relationship that, that gave this whole new overtone to it and this special relationship that everyone started talking about. And so now in people's political memory, that's the way it always is and that's the way it always was and that's the way it always will be. And maybe it will, and I'm okay with that, but it may not be. And, you know, that's just the reality. Country, we are, this Pax Americana that you're describing, Benji, of America as a superpower, I think exists as memory now. In other words, the things, it depends how you define a superpower. If you define it by countries with enormous militaries and economies, then America is a superpower. If you define a superpower as a country that is the bully that pushes everybody else around, and I could, you know, that could be, that came out negative, but it keeps the world order secure because everybody has to do what that country wants, more or less. America is not that country anymore. Yeah. And the world is, is, is adjusting to that. European countries are looking into how to set up their own security. Here in the Middle East, countries are looking at their own security, not relying on America. That has a big chunk to do why the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain are suddenly making friends with Israel, because they don't think they can rely on America anymore. So America, by that definition, I don't think is a superpower anymore. So 
I don't know what that means going forward. It doesn't mean America's not a power. It just means, you know, the withdrawal from Iraq is just the, the last 20 years. The Bush administration, Obama administration, the Trump administration, the Biden administration, after George Bush's invasion of Afghanistan and Iraq was an assertion of American dominance, the, the lack of effectiveness of that military intervention and the declining prestige of America and the American withdrawal to isolationism as a response, as you said, Benji, on the left and the right, reflects the waning years of a superpower in my understanding of how that works. I could be wrong, but right. that's what it looks like to me. And so, well, and so the, yeah, but this essential relationship that Israeli politicians, I agree with you, Leo, mm -hmm. Israeli politicians talk about it as much as American politicians. Yeah. yeah. And like, it's indispensable. Yeah. But that's, I don't know that it is. Right. I wanted to say, um, in terms of whether, or not whether, you know, to waning American power. That's why Israel has pivoted uh, to China, mm -hmm. um, India, and let's say at least with the China stuff, that's why the it's Americans are kind of, right? <laughs> is it, Israel wants, it, it's looking at this, okay, yes, we can say things, you know, to our domestic, you know, constituents in politics here in Israel, that the relationship is indispensable, blah, blah, blah. But on the other hand, you know, behind the scenes, um, the increasing of, of, of trade and warming of relations with, with China, for example, is showing, you know, Israeli government's not stupid. I mean, you can either, Lieberman, who's kind of a straight shooter, the current finance minister, you can look up quotes of sayings like, we can't actually only rely on America. We need relations with other countries. It might've been when he was foreign minister. I remember reading this. So as in, we are preparing, yeah. you know, that if it's, if America's power really declines that, you know, we, we have to have allies in other places. And I also, in response to what you said, Michael, um, in terms of what you're saying about the warming of U.S.-Israel relations, maybe mm -hmm. only in the 90s with, with Clinton, when I teach about this, I kind of teach about the relationship in three, three layers. One and two of them are from Michael Oren's book, uh, Power, Faith and Fantasy. One on the, the power realms, right, as in the, the mm -hmm. strategic relationship, the intelligence sharing, all the security stuff is that American power can help Israel and vice versa, which starts, you know, really after the, the six day war, even a little bit before, but mostly after the six day war, the faith stuff has been there since, you know, since the beginning of America, right? Mm -hmm. This whole idea of religious and civic American faith, whether religious, you know, in the Bible or the civic faith, the liberty and democracy that Americans see Israel kind of a reflection of themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the third element is the leadership element, which only, as you, you started talking about, is the, the leadership element. Um, and what my thesis has always been is that the leadership element doesn't necessarily need to be warm as long as you have a foundation in the power and in the faith. And yeah. I think that's where we, Israel always has to show, or America has to show that American power, Israeli power is beneficial for one or the other, because the faith element is not going away. Um, and I think the leadership element is less important if the faith element is there because it will push, right, at least the American president, wow, I have 20, 90 million evangelical voters, right? Uh, so every Republican president is always going to be into it. And it's the Democratic president in the civic faith that it represents liberty, democracy, and freedom. And that's where you're seeing a split in the civic faith in the Democratic Party because some don't look at Israel as the way that some of us do. Uh, in terms mm -hmm. of democracy, liberty, and freedom. So I think that the faith and the power is always there, at least for the meantime. And the leadership, I, I don't think it matters as much. Um, that split in the Democratic Party, and, the, and I think that's pretty clearly what's going on. 
You have a growing and increasingly vocal and now somewhat successful minority within the Demo- Democratic Party that pretty much buy the BDS narrative. That's a, that, yes. is a, that is a considerable faction of the Democratic Party. And I've been saying for years, well, they're, they're successful in social media, but they haven't had any impact on any sort of legislation. Well, here they've had a symbolic impact. Now, the, it's going to go through, everyone says. You know, Steny Hoyer says it, it's going through. But, but at least for the moment, and, you know, this is a step beyond social media symbolic impact. This is actual legislative symbolic impact. It's being, it's being pushed into another bill mm-hmm. because that uh, caucus in the Democratic Party is anti-Israel. And that, American that's certain- civic faith is changing with regards to yeah. Israel. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, but only on one side of the aisle. Yeah, the other side, it's just strengthens. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, there was, there was uh, in uh, Jacob Maggid in the Times of Israel article on this was talking about how part of the idea was this was conceivably, there were, he got some, somebody said off the record that this was uh, Pelosi's trick to get Republicans to vote for the budget by wanting to include the Israel uh, mm. Iron Dome funding so that they would they vote didn't for, fall it. for it. They didn't fall for it and they didn't support it and it crashed and burned. So she took it out. So it was an attempt to get Republicans to vote for the Democratic budget. That's a good, that's a good take. Mm-hmm. I, um, that makes complete sense. Pelosi would, why wouldn't she do that? She and absolutely she wants, would do that. And she wants the bill. She wants the funding. She's pro-Israel. Yeah. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Well, she's from the establishment, the establishment Democratic Maybe. caucus, which is still in, holds the power and is still the majority for now. Uh, yeah, I don't. Is, is a, genuinely don't, pro-Israel. Right. I'm not so. I think in the, Demo, the liberal wing of the Democratic Party, not the progressive social justice wing, the liberal but, wing of the Democratic yeah. Party is they're pro two states. They can be critical of the occupation, critical of Israeli yeah. policy and still be yeah. pro-Israel in a way that they might even have a more nuanced, I don't know, like, we don't like that word that much, right? But like more sophisticated <laughs> approach yeah. uh, to Israel policy where you could be critical of it. And I'd say all of us here also are critical of Israeli policy, but it doesn't affect our commitments to Israel to the Jewish nation state or as a, you know, to our Jewish democracy uh, in a way, um, you know, that the progressive wing here, there's there's not like there's just nothing. Israel is not legitimate. They do not. The Jewish people are not a nation. They right. don't have a right. They don't have a right to exist. Um, and I, the state of I Israel does not have a right to exist. Yeah. So the, and is a, and well, is a criminal endeavor in its by its very nature. Right. So. How can, I guess, in our spaces as educators, but also in communal conversations, and whether it's outside of Israel and in, in Jewish communities, I think we have to be able to, those paradigms of the Jews are a nation, the legitimacy is a state of their own, and to be talking about it in that lens, while not like a but or an and approach, but just to be talking honestly, where sometimes there are things that are happening there that are stucky and yucky, like sticky and yucky is what I want to say. Like kind of like Michael Goodman approach, which is there's this occupation. It's a moral disaster and I'm stuck with it and there's nothing I can do and I can't end the conflict. So let's shrink it. That to me as a centrist makes complete sense. I want the occupation to end, but I also want to live safely next to the millions of Palestinians that live next door to me in the West Bank or literally down the street from you guys. Right. In a frat. Well, so, yeah. so why like that? I don't know. How can those more conversations to be dealing with the actual reality on the ground of what's happening here versus just this mirror image of issues that are happening in America, which seems to be happening more and more and more? 
I know that's that's what troubles me. And I think that will determine whether or not the squad politics will be taking over Israel politics more and more or if it's kind of reaching its peak. Well, I, I think it's actually a symptom of a bigger problem. And, and uh, while I always as an educator try to educate my students that we, we can influence and change the future here, I, I have genuine uh, fear that that may, that may not be the case because because the. You know, we, we always use the term, you know, the, the increasing tribal identity of American politics. But in my head, that tribal identity, in, I, think, I, I think of it as a religious identity. In other words, I know I have dogma. I no longer have to justify my position. I no longer have to argue with my position to convince somebody else because it's obviously true. It's self-evident that I am completely right and everybody else is completely wrong. And the idea of compromising is incredibly dangerous because I hold the one truth. And that's true on the woke left, and it's true on the MAGA right. You know, mm -hmm. I, I still think in terms of Enlightenment American Jeffersonian values. I don't think in terms of this <clears throat> winner-take-all politics that America is turning to over the last, increasingly over the last 20, 30 years, and has now reached a fever pitch of incoherent, dogmatic battle for victory as opposed to a mutually cooperative argument that leads to a better outcome. So the, the very nature of America is changing. I don't know that if we change the way we talk, that would help the, the, the woke left, which, which now as dogma accepts Israel as a criminal. It, it's, it's the, the, there is a, there is, a, a, and part of the problem is that the, the dividing line between idealists visionaries and activists used to be a very, a, a, I think overall, a pretty cl clear line between them and politicians. Martin Luther King was an activist. He wasn't a politician. He changed America by being an activist, not by being a legislator. He, the, the, when, when, it, when it came to the Civil Rights Act, an enormous amount of compromising had to be done. And Martin Luther King didn't stand for compromise as a principle. He acknowledged its necessity, but he fought for values in their purity. People remember, of course, that anyone who knows anything about American history knows that the Southern Confederacy in the United States, they seceded and viewed Abraham Lincoln as the enemy. But people often forget that the abolitionists were incredibly frustrated with Abraham Lincoln because he absolutely was compromising. He said very explicitly, if I could preserve the union, if, that, if, if allowing slavery to exist would preserve the union, I would allow slavery to exist. But, but he was a politician. And we, 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 we've, we've blurred the roles so, so that people who, who get into politics to fight for these like extreme values at their purest form and reject the idea of compromise are incredibly damaging to the legislative or to the executive process. And so that the existence of that in, in both wings of the party is incredibly toxic. So the fact that on the left wing, there's this anti-Israel caucus is just part of a deeper problem that's, that's causing American unraveling. And so we, we as Jews have a particular angle on that aspect, but it's a bigger problem than just this is what I'm saying. I also want to say something about the, the right wing, actually, because what I read was that the Republicans refused to save the Democrats from the government shutdown, even if that meant relying on Israel, on, de, on delaying Israel's uh, Iron Dome funding. And so that also says something about where the right, right is standing right now, I think, even though we see them here from Israel as our allies and as the people who will support us and ultimately will um, pass 
all the necessary budgets through, um, but also their priorities are America. And so even if that means delaying um, funding us for, you know, in order, in order to not side with the Democrats, in order to not, you know, help their cause, move their cause forward. Yeah, if, if you're not allowing the regular things like a budget to pass so that right. the government doesn't shut down. Uh, if America is an ally, then a strong America is a stronger Israel. A dysfunctional America yeah. weakens Israel. So the fact that you have a caucus on the right that are willing to make the American process dysfunctional is not good for Israel. And that's that's what happens when extremists take over a party or on the other side where extremists are, are trying to take over a party. It's a mess. It's a mess. I think what we're, at least what I'm seeing is the Republicans, I remember when Ted Cruz first came and the government shut down, this was like 2013 or 14, I don't know, when Obama was in power or even before Ted Cruz, but I'm saying the Republicans were willing to shut down the government against Obama, right? We saw that a lot. And now I think what we're seeing in this Biden administration is Democrats are kind of taking the same, you know, strategy is, you know, we're willing to shut down the government if we don't get our certain policies. So mm-hmm. in a way, both both sides are, mm-hmm. you know, I guess I was I read something in the New York Times. I think it was this morning saying that, you know, Biden is not as much as the anti-Trump as people thought they were voting in. You know, mm-hmm. there's there's certain, you know, what this whole thing with France, that seems very Trumpian to like go behind France's back and to make a better deal with the Australians. You know, well, imagine what, imagine with what, Afghanistan. Imagine what Democrats would be saying about the pullout from Afghanistan or about this, you know, brouhaha with France if Trump were the For president. Sure. Mm-hmm. Right, They'd so be just freaking the, out at the level of 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 dysfunction and unprofessionalism. Okay, well, we're getting it now from the Biden administration, right, but Democrats just, don't seem overly concerned about it, which is weird. Biden went to Cotillion and Trump did it. Right. So that's just, but it's the same. I don't think they both went to Cotillion. I'm just saying it's, Trump doesn't tweet mean things. Biden's, me. Biden's I mean, listen, say what you want. Biden's a working class guy. Trump's no, not. I, I, maybe, no, fair enough. I guess the, the comparison yeah. was, a good, I was just thinking of the outcomes of Cotillion, yeah, which yeah, is, yeah. you know, you have manners and tact and things that obviously Trump doesn't. And, you know, Biden, yeah, yeah, has yeah, yeah, his, yeah. you know, independent oh, oh, I see what you're saying. Gimmicks. That was the metaphor. It wasn't the best metaphor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but um, <laughs> no, I, I right. Um, I think the main thesis that that we're kind of touching along the edges here is that the Jews were kind of going along for the ride with wherever America is going, and we just need to be smart, you know, and cover our own. At least in Israel, cover our own interests, and the American Jewish community, you know, it is American first and foremost. And mm-hmm. wherever woke ideology is going to be influencing institutions, and my kind of revy on this is Barry Weiss, who says, well, the woke ideology is taking over our institutions, so we need to make new ones. Mm-hmm. And maybe that mm-hmm. will, you know, kind of re-strengthen American uh, liberalism and, and democracy. I think that's a really good idea. But that, you know, and Barry Weiss has leaned into that conversation and created kind of a whole media, not conglomerate yet, but hopefully she'll get there and like they'll be really The well. Barry Weiss verse, yeah. <laughs> right, the Barry Weiss verse. And there's lots of people in that space, um, but us, we're in a very tiny space of this kind of Israel, Zionism, Jewish, uh, you know, conversation. And so much of our conversation is dictated by what's happening outside of it. And that's, and I don't know how much influence we can have on the outside of it, which is kind of what we're saying, uh, because that the woke ideologies, you know, the discourse or what's happening on the right, it, it really affects us. And it's, it's, um, you know, is it humbling that how much we can actually impact it? Um, Mm -hmm. 
I'm not sure humbling is the word, but it, I don't know how to make of it that, because Michael, what you were saying is, how much can we really do? You know, well, like, this I, is just I, happening. Yeah. And maybe Anshel Pfeffer's point, which is, you yeah. know, be smart, have a good relationship, but we don't need your money because we're strong enough and we can take care of ourselves. You know, that's kind of that Zionist ethos of, you know, we need to take care of it ourselves and taking care of ourselves is having a strong relationship with America, but it's also, you know, not completely relying on America. Well, what I'm saying is I don't have an opinion on Anshel Pfeffer's tactic of should I, 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 in fact, if anything, I lean the other way. I do think it makes sense to keep economically linked to the United States in terms of aid. But I agree with his overall strategy, right. which is we don't think of ourselves as is America. Hmm. And, and, and yes, the, the community in the United States has almost as many Jews as Israel. It is the biggest, I think if you combine Israel and America, you have like 83, 84% of the world's Jews just in those two countries. In the 80s, yeah. Yeah, but, but I do think that the future of the Jewish people is here. And so, in, while obviously... In Israel. In Israel, yeah. So yeah. I think we That's think of the Jewish community... speaking. It doesn't have to demograph- be an ideological argument. I don't think... It, I don't, but I don't mean ideologically. I mean strategically, uh, logically, historically... I, I, I think that the that the idea yeah opened up a whole uh, new podcast conversation. The future of the well, Jewish we can't, people. Because we only have it? like another minute. So I know, we but you just said a really big thing to like say as a tangential. Like that's what does that mean? The future of the Jewish people. Like that's a. I'm pushing back a little because I don't really know what you mean by the future of the Jewish people. I I know when I'm your age, Michael. Right mm-hmm. when I'm a when I'm a Saba, many many decades from now, <laughs> I don't know, like two year old and a one year old, couple, yeah, yeah. T- yeah, twenty years, twenty years, it could uh-huh. be a Saba, or 25, 30 years, mm-hmm. whatever it is, I'll be a Israel, God willing, two thirds of the Jews will live in Israel. That's that's what the demographic studies are showing. That looks like it, yeah. Okay, so does that just mean oh, the future of the Jewish people is based on where most of them live? Partially. I think that's a factor. Yeah, I don't think it's the only factor, but I do but, think it's a factor. And I think, but I think what I'm, what, what this conver- what relates to this conversation is, here we are actors that act in our own interest. In America, you're swamped by variables that go beyond Jewish identity and Jewish community, and so ultimately, Jews can't only act in their own perceived self interest. They have to act in the interest of the of the majority, even if that means surrendering some of their advantage, which is part of the political split you have between Orthodox Jews in America and most of the Jewish community in America, that, that mm-hmm. people on both sides, they all find these, these splits are questions of how to interpret Jewish identity as Americans are yes. dividing the American Jewish community. And so you, you end up in different boats, whereas to be in a Jewish state means you're all in one boat. Right. It's a Benji. It's like what you said, we're American Jews, it's America, you're American first, and then you're Jewish. Um, most of the time. And there's a good moral argument for that. Mm-hmm. It's just ultimately not sustainable. It's not, it's not just, I think, um, an issue of a moral argument. It's a strategic argument, which mm-hmm. is, you know, to live a prosperous life as a human being of which I identify as a Jew, embracing American identity and American liberalism has been the smartest thing a Jewish person on planet Earth can do in parallel or, you know, maybe second to embracing Zionism. As in those two, American liberalism and Zionism have enabled the Jews in the 21st century to live the most prosperous and safe and secure life our people has ever lived in our civilization's history. 
Um, and I don't know about ever. We did pretty good in Spain. We did pretty good in Poland. We did pretty good, whatever. Yeah, but I get your point. Yeah. Mo- modern. Yeah. No, and we're doing exceptionally well. Liberal democracy has has benefited the Jews right. tremendously the, in Madrid. The golden yeah. age of Spain. It's hard to, I guess it's really, I don't, maybe I made too much of an outlandish comment, like the most thing ever in mm-hmm. recent memory. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right? all, yeah, in, just modifying the, yeah. No, I, I get what you're saying. It's hard to know mm-hmm. what life was really like here a couple thousand yeah. years ago. Like what, maybe it was super, like how do you even define the best or most prosperous? I don't know. Because like prosperous exactly. meant something, I, I like that pushback. That was good and fair. Um, but right, I, I, so I, now I, when the... Yeah. I was just going to say when the liberal democracy is sort of wavering and in feeling not secure, um, that's when all these questions come up of who do we rely on? Where is our security coming from? Because um, that really is what's happening in the States right now. Liberal democracy is, is, a, is a political ideology that has been advantageous to the Jews. Zionism is a movement that says, let's put ideology aside for a second. The ideology is we take care of the Jews and build their future and put everything else aside. That is part of the reason there's a growing gulf between the American Jewish community and Israel, because they're saying, well, wait a minute, ideology has to come first. So if there's this tension with Palestinians, then maybe Israel shouldn't be a thing. Zionism yeah. says, we'll work out the moral problems at some point, but we're surviving. And so, and so if that means we have a difficult relationship, you know, a few decades ahead of us with Palestinians, we'll endure that and we'll figure it out and we'll even morally compromise but survival comes first. And so that, that's part of the competing disagreement between the, the, the two societies that we're seeing now based on what you are arguing, Benji, that these two strategies, one is to align with liberal democracy and one is to uh, align with Zionism are two survival strategies. We obviously believe that one of them is going to be the winner, although we well, are, everyone in this conversation believes in the values of liberal democracy and its success and think that's the way to a healthy future and want Israel to maintain that identity as well. Right. I mean, it's simple to me. Can Jewish values exist if, there, exist if there are no Jews? Like, it's nice. Yeah, the values exist, but the Jews aren't here anymore to, like, embody them. Um, so, yeah, particularism versus universalism. Um, I believe in the universal values, but I want to believe in them while I feel safe and secure, and all Jews should feel safe and secure in, in embodying those values. And, you know, I mean, the critique could be, well, they're, like, Anshel Pfeffer, I think, and I've also, once again, someone like him would approach, okay, but there's ways to deal with and being, you know, the occupation and be more moral and, yeah. and still be those. Right. Right. Um, how do we do our best? Just, yeah. How do we do our best? And I think that's something that we could fix. Um, but you know, but what we started the or conversation with, right. But how we started the conversation with, with regards to the iron dome, um, the approach and taking out the, the, that funding in the most recent budgeting bill uh, was because there's nothing to fix because it should be replaced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's just, absolutist it, and dogmatic, right? right. And yeah, it's so, that rift. Um, it's that rift that Michael you were talking mm-hmm. about. So, um, look at us taking this American budget issue and taking it to a space of how it impacts Jewish people and the future of, of Zionism, or how we teach about Israel and Zionism. Well, as you said earlier, Benji, sometimes the people stand on a particular topic reflects more about who they are than the actual topic itself, and so that's Correct. just where our heads are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what happens. Yeah. Well, it is. It, listen, it's a, it's a, it, I do think it's a troubling sign of the times. I don't think that in this particular example it's going to be. But, but that's what I see. I see these, uh, these uh, 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 what do you call the thing that makes earthquakes? Fault lines. I see fault lines here. 
So, so things are stable right now. The fault lines aren't uh, uh, shaking up the order, but I, but I do have concern for the future. So, it is what it is. But, but for right now, it's going through, and the Democratic leadership isn't going to stand for it not going through, let alone the Republicans. In the meantime, uh, who knows? Just remember, six years ago, no one of when Trump comes down the the escalators of Trump Tower, he was going to be president, right? And what happened? What's going to be in six years? Like we cannot predict. I guess in sure. what will happen in American politics, who will be after Biden, what will happen in Israel, will BB come back? There's so much. It's so dynamic. Um, and as and we sit here, you're, you're now. Now we see where your head is, Benji. It's still in Russia, Shana Yom Kippur, and determining our fates and things like that. With Shana Rabba coming. All I really think about is how I can take care of my kids during this crazy holiday season and no daycare. That's really all that's on my mind. Well, we're going to let you get back to it. I heard them a little bit in the yeah. background partying without yeah. you. So we'll let you get back yeah. to uh, those yummy uh, little people and uh, have a good time. It's, a, it's exhausting. But trust me, as, as the guy who already is the grandfather, you're going to look back to these times with... Uh, these are these are good building blocks of family future that you're enjoying now during Cholamoid. So enjoy. Amen. Uh, enjoy. And to our and listeners, enjoy. Sorry? Stay away yeah. from quarantine. Well, they're Stay going to change the rules, quarantine. I think, the, for I school think kids. I saw on the news. They're looking at replacing the current system with a different one so that not everyone has to go into quarantine every time anybody's in quarantine. Yeah. So hopefully we, that'll make life a little bit easier. Yeah. That's what I'm going for. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Thank you all. Uh, you don't have to stop the Zoom, but this is the end of the episode, so I'm stopping the recording. Bye-bye. Masa Israel Journey is dedicated to shaping a promising future for the young Jewish individual, the global Jewish community, and the connection to the State of Israel. Masa offers life-transforming, long-term opportunities in Israel that allows fellows to create their own future. Check out MasaIsrael.org for more info.